You're listening to the Royal Society of Medicine's Digital Health podcast series, where we aim to support healthcare innovation by disseminating knowledge of expert leaders at the Royal Society of Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Marla Morkin. Welcome to this episode of the Digital Health podcast series from the RSM Digital Health Council. All views expressed in this episode are of the speakers themselves and not of the Royal Society of Medicine. In today's episode, we talk with Professor Samuel Gray following his talk at the RSM Big Data, Big Change event. We discuss what really got him into digital health and what he thinks will drive the healthcare revolution occurring right now. We talk about how we can shift physician culture, why patient may not be the best word to use anymore, and how we can change healthcare structures into systems. Enjoy! Hey, so we're here today with Professor Sir Muir Gray, an incredible man who has really pioneered the NHS's improvement in digital health space. He was the chair of the NHS Health and Social Care Digital Service, uh, maintaining the NHS Choices website. He established and directed the UK National Screening Committee and was the first person to hold the post for the Chief Knowledge Officer of the NHS. It's really no surprise that in 2005 he was given a knighthood for his services to the NHS and we are honoured to have you here today as a speaker for the Royal Society of Medicine but also on our podcast series. So thank you very much for coming. Uh, digital, you see, I... My... I nearly put up a satellite once <laughs> where someone came to see us in Oxford from southern Sudan. He was a Ugandan refugee and he couldn't get access even to the Lancet. And I said, well, we could send the Lancet to you. He said, but in the rainy season, it takes three weeks to drive to where I am in southern Sudan. So at that time, I'd read that if you could, you could have a thing called a dish and you could, you could clip it onto a car battery and you know, once a day, a satellite would pass over. So we thought in Oxford, well, we'll put up a satellite. And then they invented the internet. <laughs> and uh, that's when we set up the Cochrane collaboration. Brilliant. So that was from the earliest days. And by the earliest days, things like, we sometimes had to take pictures down because it took too lo- long to load up. Uh, but I've always been interested in knowledge. And I knew when I was, uh, when I graduated, that I didn't have the attention span even to fill out a Medical Research Council application form, never mind do a PhD. And I also knew that if we could put into practice 10% of what we knew, people would be much better off. Because uh, the president of Toyota once said that Toyota is a knowledge business, mm-hmm. not a car business. And by that he meant not just knowledge about plastic and steel, but knowledge about their customers. And that's what you see for the NHS. Yeah, I say to a hospital chief exec, are you in the real estate business or the knowledge business? Interesting. And some will look at me a bit funny. So (laughs) you've got all these clever people working there. And broken legs all get to a hospital. uh, But lots of problems don't Mm -hmm. get to the right place. Same with general practice. So so healthcare is a knowledge business. And this thing called digital is about managing knowledge. It has a really interesting perspective on what you what you see for digital health, and how have you seen it? You know, over your career, how have you seen it change and develop and utilize digital health? Has it been an easy journey? Well, I found it very helpful um, to use the model by, of a man called Manuel Castell, okay. who's a historian, doesn't write about healthcare, but he talks about the industrial revolution, 
And so the first industrial revolution was driven by simple technology and empiricism, steam engine, just like the first public health revolution that was driven by the idea of clean, clear water. You needed stable government, uncorrupt government, which we got in, the, in Great Britain in the 19th century, and you needed the railways. The railways were the 19th century equivalent of the internet because it allowed London to control Rochdale or Newcastle or, or Edinburgh. The second industrial revolution, like the second healthcare revolution, was driven by science and big organisations. I don't always think of that. If you look at, at uh, the biggest building in a city now is the hospital. Mm-hmm. It's replaced the cathedral as the source of power. It's really the heart, the heart of, uh, of the community at the moment. Yes, uh, but we're now in what he called the third industrial revolution that's driven by three forces, the citizen, knowledge and the internet, or mm. the citizen knowledge in the phone. So uh, what I've seen now is that we are still struggling to think, well, we'll do more of the same. We'll build bigger hospitals or more health centres or develop more technology. But actually, the model out there has moved on mm. and citizens have moved ahead because the clinicians are institutionalised. It's not the patients who are institutionalised, it's us who are institutionalised because we've been in the one institution all our lives. And that's so interesting because if we look back, as you say here, the history of how digital health has de- developed mm. even, what can we take forward now to put into practice from our learnings? Well, I think two things. Firstly, the, uh, the, the phone. Wait, uh, you, you young people, like you call this a smartphone? Oh, yes, yeah. You, you, you call it a smartphone. <laughs> well, still, I call it a phone. But <laughs> yeah, you probably don't even refer to it as, as it. It's just in, uh, always about you. The... <laughs> The, the issue is the, we, we need to move from a world in which uh, we think we hold the information. The only person who's constant is the person called the patient. Mm. And I think it's, and I don't like the word patient, I'm trying to ban it, uh, <laughs> but I think the, we have to say to people, all this worry about confidentiality, the problem is, as one woman said to me uh, about 10 years ago, uh, an older woman, even older than me, she said, Dr. Gray, when we sort this out, uh, everyone knows I've got breast cancer and ovarian cancer. But my doctor at the Wigan Hospital doesn't know what the doctor at the Christie Hospital is doing. And my GP is never very sure what both of them are up to. And of course, she was probably also going to see a cardiologist and a diabetologist. So the only we have to now have a revolution. And that, that means we have to accept there's some risk. But you see, still, I'm quite good at these things. I'm holding my phone. I'm quite good at these things. But if I drop down in the street out there, there's nothing on here saying I had a heart attack five years ago mm-hmm. and I'm on bisoprolol and losartan because I tried to do it with my general practice. I didn't quite get there. So we need to say to the Daily Mail and the Times and the Telegraph uh, that we need a new approach where the person called the patient is responsible for their health and their data. And the technology, the, the technology people can do anything we want. So we need to have a model we do that. The second approach is we need to start thinking in terms of populations and not just institutions like hospitals and health centres. And I said uh, this morning that when I went to Oxford 48 years ago, I could not get an answer to the question, is care for people with asthma better in Oxfordshire or Cambridgeshire? Okay. Today, 27 reorganisations later, I still can't answer that question. 
because we're not thinking in, in systems terms, we're thinking institutional terms. And how, how can we change the culture really there? What do you think can really shift the culture of physicians to change their approach as well? Well, I think that's, that's difficult uh, because, let's say, they're institutionalised. Uh, but I think there are some simple things we could do. Firstly, we need to distinguish strategic, operational and tactical like they do in the military. Mm -hmm. So what the military are very good at doing is taking a young person like you might be on the front line working all hours and then your next job is in the Ministry of Health and then you go back to the front line. Um, so it's strategic, operational and tactical. The operational is at the level of, say, um, Birmingham or Cornwall. The tacticals in the clinic, in the health centre, in the team, and the strategic. It's not higher. These are just different levels. So I feel we should have one simple system specification for, say, people with, with epilepsy, that we're all agreed what it is, because the outcomes are the same in Melbourne or Manitoba or Manchester. And then the operational commanders have to get on and organise networks to deliver it. So that's one thing that we, we need to do. And the second thing is to use younger people in different ways, because you will be the leader. You'll be in a leadership position in 2040. So we should be getting you involved much more in designing the future. And uh, I'm very much engaged with that and starting to think of ways in which we can get people like yourself in your, in your 20s. So you'll be working in 2030, 2040. You may even be working in 2050, actually, because your time age is Fingers crossed. <laughs> um, so I think we do be much more revolutionary in what we're doing. Okay, this is amazing. So let's let's sum this up. So in in one sentence or two sentences, what do you think the biggest challenges um, are that can be really solved with digital health and knowledge sharing? I would say the... Um, they can, they, it's not quite chaos because there is some order but I would say that we don't have healthcare systems we have healthcare structures so that's one thing we turn structures into systems by the system I would mean what is the system for people with at the end of life in Newcastle where's the system specification because the, I don't use the word information system it's an information subsystem of a clinical system and then secondly, we need to think of the individual as being responsible. And I think we need a new contract with the person we call the patient because they don't have anything written down or they may have something written about the opening times of their health centre. But people need a much clearer sense of their responsibility. It's in their interest to be the person who is responsible for their care because they are the only ones constantly. I couldn't agree more with you. Thank you very much for your time today, Mio. It was lovely to speak with you, and I hope we get a chance to speak further on all of this Thank you in, very much. in due course. Thank you for listening to this episode of the RSM Digital Health podcast series from the Digital Health Council. Please remember that the views expressed in this podcast are of the speakers themselves and not of the RSM. You can continue to follow us on this podcast and tune in to the next episode. And also, we'd love to have you down at some of the Digital Health Council events at the RSM, which you can find out more about at www.rsm.ac.uk. And we've put the links in the podcast description too. Bye for now.